I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another wonderful, spectacular, extra, super duper, mass effectacular episode of Normandy FM. The one, the only, the best Mass Effect retrospective out there on the internet. Yeah, I said it. Invite me. Other podcasts. Shout out to Reignite. I wasn't calling them out specifically, Ken, but if you well, want to Well, I'm just saying, we're not the only ones. Well, a rising tide, you know, lifts all ships, so maybe <laughs> a healthy beef between ourselves and other podcasts would be good. But why settle for Mass Effect podcasts? Come at me, Fireteam Chat. Y'all ain't shit. <laughs> Anyways, I'm Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. What up? We are we are here to talk about uh, today. We are talking about some Geth because it's about time we got around to that conflict. You know, it's it's been out there. Things have been going bad for a while. I think it's time we finally brokered a peace here because uh, somehow the the Quarians went from you know your mild mannered migrant fleet to a uh, warhawks <laughs> in the span of about a game. So, yeah. Uh, I guess that's kind of where we can start before we get into the nitty gritty of the Geth Dreadnought mission is that this is like, you know, this is one of the conflicts when we talked about the the Genophage, that that was like one of the big things that was being built up, that this is like they need to put mm-hmm. a bow on it. Th- that was one of them. And this is the other, the idea that the Quarians want their homeworld back and the Geth kind of like it's it's been nebulous but by the end of legion's loyalty mission you get the sense that the geth are not just this faceless swarm of baddies that they they do have sentience and they want you know an existence that is not defined by anyone but themselves and eventually that was going to come to a head because uh as as we know and as we will learn uh the the separation between the Corians and the geth was not exactly uh amicable <laughs> so, they they did not stay together for the kids. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> so the the nice part about all this is that uh, Tally Tally Zoravas Normandy comes back aboard the ship, and uh, it's fun seeing her again. I like she's an admiral like now. Little, she's a, she is admiral she's in charge. I forgot is she still Admiral Tally Zoravas Normandy? Like she doesn't. Mm-hmm. Switch mm-hmm. to a different ship name. Okay, that Should've was the one thing I was having trouble remembering. It wasn't in my notes. Was that um, she remains Voss Normandy, even though she's. I, I'm imagining she's on some other ship. Like mm-hmm. she's obviously not hanging out on the Normandy all the time. So, um, but I, I want to jump right to you, Ken, because your your notes immediately start off with the burning question in my mind that I had when I started this mission for the first time is that the reapers are invading and the the Corians are like this is a great time right. to waste a bunch of our lives and ships on getting a homeworld back yeah so the timeline in it, it seems to be kind of nebulous because like it might like there might have been overlap like they started before the reapers got here or maybe not like like i think ron at some point says a few weeks ago or something mm-hmm. when this all happens like so that's kind of you know the game's not you know spelling out how long it's been since like we were on earth and the reaper showed up so maybe they started at you know it just all happened to happen at the same time but right now like you, you hear the galaxy is on fire and you don't pull out you don't like do like literally anything else other than throw your lives away true true galaxy on fire is my safety word so <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was kind of my... I mean, they were building up to it with Tally's loyalty mission. Mm-hmm. This idea that uh, 
the Corian like tally you know your experience in mass effect one with tally was kind of the window into Corian life but she's not necessarily indicative of the way that all Quarians feel and even then like tally was definitely when it came to geth and retaking the home world she was very much like no we need to murder all the geth and we need to like she was just happily dismantling them for parts and shipping them back and uh was not thinking twice about it 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 took like legion essentially Mm -hmm. and legion's loyalty mission and even after that to for her to even think about starting to change the way that she thought about the geth and when we see her like walk in the room i love that you note here is that she's very uncharacteristically zen the first time we talk to her that she's very prim proper you know she's an admiral she's got some poise and then she kind of slips you a, a note that's like hey we need to talk like for real like meet me in the cabin where there's less people around to to hear me talk and then you get like the real tolly who's just like fuck (laughs) and honestly like that was a big like i related a lot in that moment tali was an icon in that moment (laughs) because very very poised when in public and around the prying eye but the second like the the door shut behind her she's like oh my god i'm like just Mm. pass the fuck out on the bed like crack open a beer be like Like, don't don't make me go back there (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, she is the millennial garbage that we all aspire to be. Um, Less. It's it, it's really interesting because it is really cool seeing her as as the admiral. You know, yeah. even though I don't, I didn't feel at first like that was a natural character progression for her because I felt like even through the end of Mass Effect Two, she didn't want to have anything to do with the Admiralty Board. You know, right. she didn't want to deal with them. They were basically you know kind of the reason her father got killed if they you know even if he was responsible for his own actions there were definitely people who seemed totally cool with what he did and overlook things mm. and stuff like that like um and and obviously you had some of the admirals um like i always forget their names was the, the one who's like totally into the idea of taking over the geth again um I th- zen is that is that wrong zen yeah zen. No. uh yeah she I, I love to hate her. She's great. Yeah. <laughs> She's like the Cruella DeVille of the Quarians, and I love her for that. But uh, well, I mean, she talks about even like when you first she first gets back in the Normandy, like it's mostly a formality. She's kind of like taken her father's spot, sort of like a interim admiral almost. Um, I mean, she does later in this all use her her power for good, but uh, at this point, she's kind of very hesitant about like it like having this responsibility and she talks about how even though she has it she doesn't really feel like she's got the standing amongst them to like even fight against the worst stuff Hmm. like the war yeah it's it's all very interesting and so we end up with this situation where we're kind of coming into this conflict and we're trying to moderate all these different viewpoints and stuff like we were doing in mass effect 2 with the loyalty mission and we kind of realize that you know we eventually want the help of of all these hopefully of all the parties involved but definitely the quarians mm-hmm. and so um we got to get a team together because the quarians are having some trouble with uh some reaper modifications because while we do like the geth we do want them on our side we're not gonna necessarily mess around with that reaper modification and as we learn as we go on the dreadnought it's maybe not totally a consensual modification that's happening that the geth are possibly being pushed towards their uh, uh towards the reapers nefarious goals we're going to go take down the reaper modifications on the geth dreadnought take down the control signal that's there we get to do a little spacewalk it's just like mass effect 2 i like this part a lot it's it's dumb yeah. and it's maybe a little tedious but it's it was, a little long it is a little long but it was like an it felt like a nice callback to be like hey remember that cool thing we did in mass effect 2 it's yeah it's real cool like yeah and you get that moment where, like, you can see Renok through the tube, and you can say to Tally, like, you're gonna like the view. It's like, mm-hmm. little moments like that that kind of break up the monotony of just walking. And and also, the Geth not using windows is, like, a yeah. great line. That's It's yeah. one I think about all the time. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I love that you mentioned in all your notes, like, all these little callbacks, all these little in-jokes. Like, by this point in Mass Effect 3, I felt like the machine was really humming in terms of 
the way that the companions were all interacting. It felt like we finally had mm-hmm. the full team back together. Yeah. I remember I did this mission with uh, Tali and Garrus. Uh, it looks like you did it with Tali and Kaiden. Um, <laughs> Kai Dan. <laughs> mm, um, and it just, it's a really warm, fuzzy feeling. And like, yeah. I know that we're supposed to be letting the other squad mates in on the fun and bringing them along and stuff like that, but it was by this point in Mass Effect 3 that I was like, okay, if I'm doing a story mission, it's either going to be it's going to be some combination of uh, Garrus, Liara, and Tally. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way it's going us. I'm sure for you it was probably uh, Kaiden, uh Garrus and mm. Tali, I'm guessing. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, my, I my, primary, my primary, my primary squad. I mean, I, I, I love all these characters, but my primary squad of Mass Effect Three is Caden and Tali for sure. Caden, that was how that was the pronunciation I was. How missing. how can you how do you not know this at this point? Wait, we're 31 episodes in. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I always think of like Ninja Gaiden and and like all that stuff. So when I see, I, I don't know. It just doesn't look right. It's it's the mm. Dan. It's the Dan that's messing me up. It should be a Den. So so it'd be Kaiden. But instead it's Kaden. like Kaden. Yeah. Oh, it's like a weird that's like a weird name like he he's the future version of a Midwest quarterback for some like college football team. <laughs> Good lord. Like Kaden Keenum. <laughs> Just take it to the field. <laughs> Throws a pass. Anyway. <laughs> Oh, so we do uh, we do get a little bit of a foreshadowing for a mission that we're going to do in the future. That Chorus's ship goes down while we're mm. trying to uh, get this all together, and uh, we do have all these shockwaves going on. This I remember that this was the combat was not necessarily like I remember by this point, in Mass Effect Three. I was getting kind of tired with the combat, and they weren't like keeping it different enough. So having the things like the shockwaves and stuff. Mm-hmm gives you just a little bit more to like engage with the combat because we, and we talked about it last week, but it's something that I failed to mention about the multiplayer was that the idea that you had to work within the limitations of a pre-made character that you couldn't be this shepherd who could have all these different moves. Cause by this point I had maxed out almost everything on my character sheet. Mm -hmm. You know, I had maxed out moves on everything. I had moves that, a vanguard was definitely not supposed to have and i was just mowing through everything uh and that's kind of like the drawback of porting forward a character right is the idea right. that yeah it's it's kind of cool up front that you're like oh cool i'm still shepherd i still get to be super awesome and super powerful but then by the end of the game it doesn't you're feel ma- like you're making progress anymore you're basically feels, a god yeah and, and you're just they become monotonous by nature by that point so i almost wish that uh, they had done what other games do, where when you port forward a character, um, I will say that I am on note as disliking Deus Ex Mankind Divided uh, as a mm. very poor follow-up to Deus Ex Human Revolution. But one thing I will say that it did well was that uh, they ported forward some of your progress. Like, you could not port forward your save to, like, keep all your abilities because they did the same, like, Metroid thing where you just, like, mm. lose your power-ups and stuff. But you do pretty early on get back most of the basic tools that you had in the first game, like within the first couple missions or so. And then they kind of come up with a story reason for why your abilities are enhanced now. You know, like, oh, there's new tech in the market and stuff like that. And so they give you reasons to then branch out even further and specialize even further in those things. And, And Mass Effect 3 does that a little bit with the way that you can do the which we haven't talked about at all now that I think about it, the kind of A and B choices for each of the higher ranks of yep. different abilities. Um, they do give you that, and and some of them are pretty interesting. I think we have talked about the, the Vanguard ability where you recharge your shields uh, mm-hmm. when, you, when you charge, and uh, Nova not using up your shields some of the time and stuff like that versus yeah. doing extra damage. Like Those are all really interesting choices. I just wish that they had branched a bit more and if you're going to make shepherd this like unkillable specter god or goddess then give her or him them the tools to actually feel that way instead of just feeling like you have maxed out what is possible within the systems like 
show me something that is hilariously improbable. Like I want a shock wave that goes out in three directions in front of me. You know, I get one going forward and then one going to like a 45 degree angle on either side that like ripples out. Like, give me a Nova that I can throw or something like that. Or let me, like, leap with Nova. Like, that would be really awesome. Mm. Instead, like, we had the same problem even in Mass Effect 2 where Samara was doing really cool stuff in cutscenes. And then when she's actually fighting, she's just kind of, like, moving around like a normal game character. And maybe that's what I want out of whatever a new Mass Effect would look like is something closer to where you feel like the cutscene character in the game moments because that that's the largest disconnect i feel in this game between the combat and the cutscenes. yeah and i mean i don't i don't guess he would have gotten farther enough in andromeda to kind of get to this point but that game is kind of about or at least like when it comes to the mechanics of it giving you the sort of free reign to be that kind of character because like i mean there is like actual uh like verticality and like not platforming but like actual like moving through the air and like and other like actual traversal while fighting as well so like you get more of those sort of uh you know those cutscene moments i think yeah i'm interested when we eventually get around to that um after the end of mass effect 3 to really see how that stuff pans out because again you know i didn't give it i gave it the scouts try but i maybe i will have to get through it either way for this i'm gonna have to eat my vegetables so Mm. (laughs) uh thank you to the patrons out there if you want to continue to support our show you can do so at patreon.com slash normdfm where you can uh contribute money keep our lights on around here and you can also donate questions donate questions send us questions (laughs) donate them of your own volition to our inbox uh so we can answer them here on the podcast and if you're lucky if you plan ahead maybe you'll get a question in that one of our guests will have to answer Mm -hmm. and so then you can ask natalie flores why she's so into turians because we do have a lot of time to fill so (laughs) um yeah no it's Please, please do that if you enjoy the show. We're happy for all the patrons that we have that donate. We're we're so thankful for every one of you. Uh, so, one person we're also thankful for because he's he's the best boy. He truly is a, a good boy. Uh, I don't know if I would define him within such constructs, but I'm I'm saying good boy more in the sense that he is a dog, <laughs> and he's like a good puppy that's hanging out. He's just chilling. He's just pure and innocence and must be protected uh legion mm-hmm. is here in the gap except right now because he's literally being used to send out signals of reaper code uh-huh so it's he's, he's here he's trapped and we got to get him out like that's yeah. we got to get him out the pure puppy has been co-opted by the reapers to be turned into a puppy radar dish and we're not happy about that so we're allowed to fix that up but uh yeah i mean we just shoot stuff we fix it the way the Commander Shepard fixes mm. stuff, which is we shoot things until they're better. Yep. <laughs> that's that's how we solve 70% of things in the Mass Effect universe. <laughs> um, and, and it does kind of pose an interesting uh, quandary here, because as we learn from Legion, after we have freed him and the, 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 the Geth are freed from... Uh, reaper control they turn to the reapers because the quarians attack them and it was very much a response to the aggression from the quarians which then begs the question you know like who's the bad guy who's the real monster yeah they prop themselves up as wanting their home world back but really you know for the geth this is their home world it was it's the only world they've ever known and Mm they were never approached on peaceful ground so you suddenly realize this is where it kind of turns to realizing that you're not just uh trying to get the quarians to stop fighting the geth and and vice versa i mean it's you know one now that the candle is lit both sides are pretty determined on finishing the fight uh but you're also trying to broker peace in a way that's we're only getting into some analogies in this, especially mm. next episode, Ken. Because mm-hmm. if we were talking about colonialism with <laughs> with the mm-hmm. genophage, we'll be talking about a lot of slavery issues <laughs> with the Koreans. Yeah. So uh, buckle up, kids. <laughs> we're getting political. Because this is not gaming. Gaming is expressly <laughs> apolitical, and we oh, don't have gosh. none of that here. <laughs> oh. oh, man. Okay. 
Oh, boy. So while we're still on the ship, <laughs> things are going to get a little bit rocky. Uh-huh. Here's the weird part. Here's the weird part. I love this. If Legion is dead, then you just have, like, a Geth VI that's just, like, hanging out on the Normandy, which is the most bizarre shit in the world. Because you think about, okay... Who is the most missable, like, the easiest to not get character of Mass Effect 2? It's Legion, right? Mm -hmm. Because you could just get him and then either forget to activate him or decide you don't want to yet. And then suddenly you get sucked into the endgame of Mass Effect 2 and you completely forgot that you had a Geth thing just, like, chilling on your ship. And I imagine that most players who get into Mass Effect went and activated Legion. But I have to figure that there's at least a non-zero sum of people who that happened to them, and they get stuck with a shitty Geth VI instead of the beautiful puppy that is Legion. So <laughs> Well, the, thing, the weird thing, so like, I assume this came down to a resources thing, it looks like Legion. And it's, like, holographic, though. So the way they <laughs> describe it is that this was a version of Legion, like, before... Like, before the end of Mass Effect 2, like, so, like, before he's met Shepard, before things of, you know, the the various things that you do with Legion and Mass Effect 2 happen. So, you're kind of, like, a, it's like, like a snapshot of this character from eons ago, I guess is how they describe it. Um, I, I kind of wish that, I mean, I think that premise in itself is pretty cool, but, like, like from a wanting to see choices more reflected in Mass Effect 3. I wish it had maybe been, like, some other guest fighter that maybe wasn't trusting of Shepard or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Which, I mean, like, that is what the character is, but it is also, like, it looks like Legion. It's like, it, it feels like they took, like, kind of, like, the easiest path to get to having the sort of, like, advocate for the Geth at this point. Yeah. I mean, you do need somebody aboard the ship to act as that counterpoint, so... Yeah. It's um, It just kind of sucks that there are people out there who didn't experience the wonder that is Legion. Yeah. Before we move on to ship stuff, I do want to point out, again, we're using the fandom wiki for Mass Effect uh, to follow along and kind of make sure we're hitting all the beats of every mission. And at the bottom in their trivia section, they note some cool stuff here from N7 Day 2013 where uh, Bioware developers actually went out and shared uh some info about this mission in particular because apparently it was a very interesting mission to put together so i'm gonna share those here for our mm. amusement according to designers joss Hendricks and dave feltham i hope i pronounced that right uh the mission was supposed to include gravitational shifts occurring mid-mission within the ship but they couldn't get it to work right that's a shame mm. uh they did uh the spacewalk sequence took about three to four months to develop and almost ended up getting cut uh it was primarily inspired by the hallway sequence in inception apparently that's uh oh, they saw huh. that and they wanted to imitate yeah i totally thought it was going to be like a reference to the space i mean technically it's also still a reference to the spacewalk in mass effect 2 but yeah. uh, apparently the way they did that was they <laughs> rotated the world around the player and put up invisible barriers to prevent the player from falling outside the tube. So instead <laughs> of Shepard walking around a static object, you were kind of just playing Super Monkey Ball with Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of fascinating. <laughs> um, and the speed of slugs fired at the main cannon section is less than one one-thousandth of its actual speed in the lore. It proved impossible for players to anticipate and prepare for the shockwave at higher speeds. Uh, that's incredible. <laughs> that originally those things were flying a thousand times faster. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, you're just, like, walking along and you're just, like, dead. Like, that's it. <laughs> I kind of want that version of the mission now, though. That sounds really good. I mean, All right, get on it, monitor. Bioware, when you make, not if, when you get out there and you make the Mass Effect trilogy HD remaster, because you listen to Norm DFM, we're so moved by our passion for the for the series, so moved by the love we have and the criticism. It's a tough love that we give you, but it is love. Uh, when you make it, please include a special setting to play that mission that way, and you can just label it for eric and you have to like type that into a console somewhere or something but then you get to play that mission that way and i'm just gonna like post clips of myself like just getting fucking annihilated by those thousand time <laughs> shells 
bricking it out. <laughs> I'm gonna like stage it so Vega is standing right on top of one. And I'm gonna watch as he gets launched his ass into space. <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> Look, he shouldn't have given me a nickname. <laughs> you should have said what no about, to the nickname. What about my shepherd says nicknameify me and be insubordinate? What about oh. that face says that to you? <laughs> it's, um. So we do get to uh, walk around the ship a little bit and talk to some people here. And whoa, 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 whoa! What, wait, wait, what did I skip? We you skipped that as we're getting off the ship, we start getting shot at by none other than the Quarians. Well, yeah, because they saw a Geth dude hanging out with us. Well, no, I'm talking about like in the in the sh- while we're still in the ship while we're trying to get off. They start firing at us because they're like, this is our chance. Oh, you're talking about the ships, right? Yeah, that they yeah. start trying to take down the Dreadnought. Yeah, because those some of those Quarian dudes are dicks, man. Yeah? They just suck. <laughs> they just, uh, man. So we get on there. We get too back to the gonna, Too bad we're going to end up saving one of them. Although, he's, although Chorus is kind of cool. He's, he's all right. The worst person you know makes excellent point. Personified. Yeah. 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 But yeah, we get back on the Normandy, so we got like it was. It's some great moments though, because like you get there, Garol and and Zen are like being um, very uh, diplomatic. Aggressive. Let's say aggressively diplomatic, <laughs> and then <laughs> like, so it was like the right choice. <laughs> so then I, you know, just being the renegade commander shepherd, I did punched Garol right in the fucking nads. I hope that I mean I, I guess Corians have stuff there too. Um, and then Zen's like talking about how she wants to experiment on Legion, and you're like. Hell no. Paragon interrupts on that shit. Mm-hmm. So, like, you, you realize now that you're having to basically babysit all these people that, I mean, again, they were, like, the people that thought it was an, a great time to go into war while the Reapers are invading. So you're having to, like, fight against all these terrible ideas that are happening on the ship at once. It's a lot. It really... I still love the Korean culture and stuff, but... In a light, it makes you realize that, you know, they've been living on the fleet their whole lives. They've always just kind of had the boogeyman of the Geth hanging over them. And mm-hmm. there's very much like a um, like a manifest destiny almost like feeling amongst them that they deserve their homeland back. And that the Geth are all like rabid invaders. And I don't know how you draw analogies to modern day. You know, like, I, I I just don't see how you do it. It's not like there's anything like that going on nowadays in the real world. So, no, never. shame about that. But <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it, it's interesting as well because you see how Tally begins to realize that as well. I think that's, that starts to play into this, mm-hmm. what eventually leads up to the climactic moment of this entire arc, which we will get to next episode. But, uh, you get to really, it's, the one that stuck out to me we will not be doing until next episode, which is actually one of my favorite missions in this entire game. Uh, it's not the final mission in this arc, but it's a very mm. specific mission that I'm actually bummed. I think you can skip it and go straight to the final mission. Yeah, which, you can. Which sucks, because you know the one I'm talking about. The, the yeah. yeah, and it's it's so good. And you can skip it, and I'm like, what? God, anyways. um, So it's really interesting to see that, because I think you for a long time we have seen the geth as this kind of you know they were just the bad guys of mass effect one and every time the geth showed up you know they're only in cutscenes doing their little march towards you and stuff like that they were like <laughs> these tin man robot soldiers and we had they we just mowed them down by the dozens and you start to realize through legion as tally does that yeah they may be like that because they are computer systems they can be put under control by the reapers and stuff but they are still developing their own sentience and even beginning to control and fight back against people who try to hack them and stuff like that like they have developed their own defenses and realized that defending themselves is important and defending their own sense of self is important is important to them and that's like oh this whole thing mm-hmm. like i love the storylines in in games where you have this ai that's becoming self-aware because it is mm-hmm. like super cheesy when it's done wrong but it's really good when it's done right i think of movies like ex machina where it's done very very well and Mm. you you kind of go through that process here in mass effect 3 and every time i come back to it i find different things to love about it but it always centers on legion and having this moment here to talk 
with Legion and hearing about how all the different stuff uh, panned out with the Heretics. Um, I believe I chose Rewrite and you chose mm-hmm. uh, Destroy. Right. I'm trying to remember how Rewrite um, panned out just in his tone. I believe it was more just kind of like, yeah, it turns out that rewriting them, uh, they were still super cool with the Reapers and they were like part of the reason like they ended up being the majority that uh, swung us towards working with the Reapers when I was like arguing against that. So, um, whereas, whereas in yours, he mentions that there are lesser, fewer Geth uh, allied with the Reapers now. And obviously this affects war assets, but that's maybe the one thing I don't like about all this is eventually all boils down to like a numbers game. And I know that there are very few people out there who are actually gaming the system because especially with the DLC, it makes it incredibly easy to max out your war assets and be fine there. But just the idea that it was all like kind of eventually culminating in a number scale that determines success or failure almost kind of cheapens that choice for me. I know we've talked about this many times before, but um, it's, I don't know it is it. one of the things that I was kind of chewing on today while I was thinking about this episode was that I think about the way that this arc ends and the fact that by this point you very much learned if you didn't know already that there is like always a third option that will get you all the best things and uh it's really it shows itself a lot in this arc specifically in a way that i kind of wish had been a little bit more obfuscated i i don't know that i mean yeah technically if you want to get into the the nuts and bolts of how the, the game is designed it is there is a numbers game to it but it, to me it's never been about the numbers, like, like again, like I've said, like you said, we've said a plenty of times in this show, it's never been about the numbers for me. It's just kind of like living with the consequences of what I've done. So, yeah, I mean, we when we get to it next next week, there will be this kind of catch all thing. But like, it is not, I mean, not that it's not easy to do, but it's like there are a lot of requirements to make that happen. That like any one, if you don't do any one of those things, you can be completely screwed out of that option altogether. Uh, so I don't know, I. I get the I get what if you want like again if you want to look under the hood and call it a numbers game I get why you can call it that but to me it's never been about the numbers game because like I mean yeah I think just tying like tying a set amount of worth to any decision in this game feels weird when you when at the end the worth that you want to be pulling out of it is just whatever worth you have tied emotionally to it and and trying to assign some sort of quantifiable worth that yeah, you can yeah. maybe it's more that you can measure it against what other people did so someone else can say like numerically my choice was better even if you felt like your choice was the yeah. right one i mean i think that's even more like with, with the Geth and quarry and stuff like that gets a little bit more gray but like you look at something like the tachanka stuff like the way to get the most war assets is to like have killed rex and you know, basically commit a genocide again. So, yeah, like, you can argue that, you know, that did get you the most war assets, and you can call it the right choice for that reason, but, like, can you live with that? Like, that's... Yeah, you can sell your soul to get the most war, war assets that you want. I mean, hey, Shepard's gonna die in the end. They don't gotta see the consequences, so... <laughs> Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> uh, that reminds me of something I want to ask you at the end of this. Um, but first we gotta talk about saving cores because oh boy um well for let's let's talk a little bit about this last bit here about what we also talk about with legion before we get into that um about how the the corians had attacked some structures that were being built and stuff like that and there were a lot of geth systems that died and I think that was the first time where I really, you know, even in Mass Effect 2, you kind of had the sense of like, oh, you know, kind of killing processes, you are like destroying some form of sentience, but you're not necessarily like, it didn't feel as real as when Legion tells me like, yeah, no, they destroyed some like servers and there were like processes on there that died and and we lost those. And it was kind of that moment where I was like, oh, right, you know, you think, again, of the Geth as a collective, of Legion as kind of a hub that accesses that collective and things like that. But you start to realize that the Geth are starting to comprehend a little bit more what their sentience means, because I felt like in the Mass Effect 2 loyalty mission, Legion was very apathetic towards whichever one you chose. Yeah, it was... 
distanced let's say he felt like a degree of distance that no matter what whether whatever decision you chose he was going to be cool with it and it was just a matter of you know like making the right decision but even here you see him recognizing that there there are things lost that can't be recovered and that those Mm. things might have had worth beyond just the raw matter that they put into this world you know like it's yeah. it's again it's finding that sense of self and like value finding value in it and also the want to defend it against someone else trying to take it from you like actual self-preservation uh-huh there's um yeah it's i, I thought a lot about um and i won't go into the very long dialogue and breakdown that it would take for me to fully finish this thought but um <laughs> ta-nehisi coates uh, wrote this incredibly good uh, series or of letters called uh, that he, he assembled into a book called Between the World and Me. And there's a lot of he talks a lot in there about how there's the death of a person, but also the death of your identity and the death of who you are as a person. And that and he he writes about it in the respect in the lens of being an African American person in America in the modern mm. age, but. I feel some of that with the way that Legion starts to talk about the Geth are not just processes anymore. We're not just a number. We're not just interlinking systems, but there is value to be found in the voices that we have. And also like that we need to protect them and preserve them and, and not necessarily give in to people like Zen who just want to turn us back into the things that we were before and things like that. We want to, evolve and that can seem dangerous to some people because it's the same thing with the krogan where the salarians look at the krogan and they're like we're scared of the idea of them having spaceships and them having a government and like playing a role in politics and stuff like that it's the same thing with Corians looking at geth i mean a lot of people looking at geth all the different races going like oh they are fully aware that they are an actual sentient race now and they will defend that they will not be subservient and that like scares a lot of them and it's it's this it's the stuff that i really like and we're going to talk a lot about it next week i promise you when we get to this mission because it's so damn good but uh it's it's just kind of that it's setting that tone very early and it's one that when we talk about Mass Effect 3, again, like, we've gone over this a few times, so people will always kind of point to the ending of Mass Effect 3 and be like, oh, yeah, that's, the story sucked. Or they'll point to Kai Lang and be like, oh, the story sucks. They never remember the stuff like this. I mean, yeah. they, maybe, they maybe even remember the high points, you know, like the end of Tuchanko or the end of Rannoch. But they don't remember the smaller beats that I feel like Bioware actually nailed very well. And, you know, mm. for all the faults that we found as well, and God knows Mass Effect 3 has some faults. I mean, we just had the episode about Jacob. So, um, but at the same time, like, I think the way that you felt about Mass Effect 2, Ken, that you were saying it was some of the highest points of Mass Effect and the lowest points of Mass Effect, that's the mm. exact way I feel about Mass Effect 3, is that mm. um, is it's that giant uh, curve, per- parabolic parabolic curve i don't know the one that goes up and down <laughs> it's, it's a sine wave of all these ups and downs in the mass effect universe personified and as as much as i love those peaks at the top of like tuchanka and Rannoch, and they are peaks they're also big ones here in moments like this where you're just talking to legion you're like mm-hmm. getting that insight and getting that stuff that we crave and again that's something that i wanted from andromeda and we didn't get it but we'll get there we will get there mm. oh, for now we gotta go save chorus so his his ship's down we gotta go figure out what's going on maybe hopefully get him back alive that that'd be helpful because right now the uh civilian fleet does not have a leader and i've heard that the civilian fleet is kind of important i heard they were strapping guns to them which was interesting yeah (laughs) that's that's another part we didn't talk about but you get to learn a little bit about what each of the fleets are doing and they're just straight up like yeah we're putting like big artillery cannons on our civilian ships and stuff like that because we're really trying to sink the gap (laughs) oh boy um yeah. This game does not do the Quarians a lot of favors. I'm going to give it, it that. Like, it really, I would not say it ruined my love of the Quarians, but I will say that it did more deeply contextualize it in a mm. sense that it went from this sort of, you know, exotic, 
exotified view I have them where it was like, oh, they're this interesting culture and I want to learn so much about them to being like, oh yeah, they have people that suck just like everybody else. Mm. <laughs> they're not like, they have not, you know, become this perfect species that has collectively reached nirvana and is awesome and super cool. Like, yeah, they're also super shitty people here too, just like there are everywhere else. But A lot of them are in charge, so. Yeah, turns out. So, as we as we go in and we take out some, I mean, this is a standard, standard, yeah. standard ass combat mission. We're just kind of taking out AA guns and then taking out a jamming tower and picking up some equipment. Have we talked much about the equipment yet in this game? Because it's a super oh, I mean, a little bit like it's a super frustrating menu system. The way that you flip yeah, between that, attachments that and stuff like that, man, it sucks. It's real not good. That's why, that's why you settle on one loadout and just stick with it. Yeah, you settle okay. on the one that does the most damage. <laughs> Basically, you, yeah. You just roll that because why would you go with anything else? And you pick like two to three weapons so that way you have that 100% biotic recharge time because that's where it's, mm-hmm. that's where it's at. But you got like 168% at this point. Yeah, I mean, I was, from like I was probably upgrading. hitting 200 because I was really just packing like I think... I think by this point I wasn't using shotguns anymore. Mm. I think I purely had moved to uh, heavy pistol, submachine gun, and I was using the Maddox because that gun is beautiful. It's Bless. I, I love so many other guns in this game, but the Maddox is just... It's like the M1 Garand of Mass Effect. You know, it's, it's perfect. It's got that perfect little mm. ping, ping. It's real good. <laughs> I love any semi-automatic rifle in a game by default because it just... It always feels right. Mm-hmm. Um, we here, Normandy FM lovers of virtual guns, not real ones. Nope. Go get rid of those. <laughs> so <laughs> we go, uh, after we take out the, the jamming tower and we take out the guns and such, we contact Chorus and we've got a little bit of a choice to make because as we have learned, uh, he's split up from his crew and, we basically have to decide to either save Admiral Chorus or save his crew. They're going to be, one of them is going to be overrun and we've got to decide which one we're going to help. And I'm going to go ahead and say that I saved Admiral Chorus because I was like, dude, this is what your crew signed up for. They knew, they know what they're getting into and you have to acknowledge that you are bigger than just yourself, that you are, and also like you seem like a kind of all right guy who can maybe work with me a little bit and i need a little bit of pull in the admirals right now and you're going to be indebted to me like i did have that little bit of feeling <laughs> because yeah I'm, I'm getting real sick of ron and zen here gotta turn some things around a little bit so um mm. i think it was ron was was it ron that orders them to fire on the dreadnought no was that, that was Geralt. okay Geralt and zen are the ones i don't like <laughs> so <laughs> uh yeah it's it's interesting so yeah if... i i was just gonna say, like i i also opted to say of course and i use the uh the intimidate option to basically be like you're the only person on the admiralty board that is going to care about the people because clearly mm-hmm. by yeah. by the way things have gone Zen and Geralt aren't so if you die here like on like on formality no one's gonna be out there to look out for these people right and that's kind of essentially what the Paragon option was too just maybe a little bit more polite inspiring instead of like <laughs> I'm gonna punch your face out and drag you back <laughs> um, and and as we as we learn uh, if if Chorus leaves we get significantly less war assets from the uh civilian fleet and also uh it kind of affects some later math that happens during uh mm. the end of the ranok mission as well because again you know yeah. it is super important for us to have that so yeah uh it it is interesting but again it just kind of plays into the politics of everything this is like I, i'm not even is this also one of the optional ones before ranok or do yeah. you have yeah, yeah. So this is an optional mission. It, it is weird how there are a lot of optional missions here before you can go do the big capstone mission because they do end up like playing out in pretty significant ways. Uh, 
And, it's more and, like one of the, it's it's like greatly suggested that you do yeah, the missions this, it does they a are better optional, job. Per se. It does a better job than other missions in this game have, uh, where they're just kind of like, hey, that stuff's over there, and it's labeled really poorly, and you'd never know. Like it's called X Cerberus Lab. I mean, that sounds like a multiplayer mission, right? <laughs> so, uh, and then you land, and you're like, well, hell, okay. Um, in fact, I'm starting to think back on the first time I played through it, and I might not have done the jacob mission the very first time i played mass effect 3 <laughs> because i was i definitely i remember hitting that point in playing mass effect 3 the first time where i was like oh cool all these extra missions are just multiplayer maps i'm not going to do all this i'm playing multiplayer already i don't, I don't want to do that so yeah uh mm. i might have missed that <laughs> so <laughs> didn't miss it this I'm time the value was lost no this time i missed kasumi i mean i missed kasumi the last time too because i did not have kasumi uh, I never played the Kasumi DLZ prior to this podcast, actually. So, R.I.P. Uh, yeah. Sadly, she, well, no, she just kind of took off. You know, she realized she got other stuff to do. You know, she's she's busy. Not everybody can make time for Shepard. All right, can't be that demanding of a friend. It's not good. So, <laughs> um, we do save Chorus, which is ultimately the right choice, even if it doesn't feel right in the moment. And we get to do a super sick turret thing where we're just like blasting. Mm geth and star reaper forces um escort mission yeah it's it's pretty sick i like that part i I like all the parts where you get to use a turret in this game because i was like there aren't that many of them but there are there are enough yeah like there's the one well there's this one and there's the one on thessia are the Mm -hmm. ones that i remember but the one on palvin's moon as well palvin yeah that there's also one there it reminds me the way that shepherd stands on it always reminds me of a warthog from halo so maybe that's why i like it because i always like being the gunner on warthogs Mm. uh whenever i would play co-op halo and we would be doing those end of the game warthog runs i would always be the Mm. gunner just because i was a terrible driver but i didn't want to be like you never want to be the dude in the passenger seat because that's the worst job because you're basically ineffectual because the turret's Mm. doing all the real work and you have a limited amount of ammo so like you're just kind of hanging out and maybe like popping a few shots off you're not gonna kill anything besides a grunt so like what are you doing you know it's a bad place to be you can just ride just enjoy the ride and just hang out yeah that's that's the hangout is you get to tune the radio you guys got this yeah you get to accidentally stick a plasma grenade to the inside of the warthog and then blow the jeep up and then all your friends get mad at you and you're just like i didn't know that button did that but you knew you knew that button did that. I mean, you got to the whole game at this point, so. <laughs> this is a Mass Effect podcast, by the way. It is. <laughs> oh, maybe one day we'll do Halo. We'll Absolutely bring, not. We'll bring Travis North up on, and we can do some some Halo talk. I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. I would love to get really deep into the lore of Halo, because that has some wild lore. I mean, and not just the part about Master Chief's suit. Not jacking him off, for the record, does not even though people think it does. Do you think Shepard's does? I think Shepard's got a little tool in there. For I, don't, I don't think Shepard needs that. I think Shepard's always got Shepherd's, something waiting for him back on Shepherd, the ship. Shepard doesn't got to worry about... Yeah, Shepard's got side. You know, he's got stuff on the side. She got stuff on the yeah. side. They, all Shepard's, have stuff on the side. Including Kenneth Shepard. Kenneth Shepard. Me. My question I'm going to pose to you in lieu mm. of a viewer question because I thought okay. of it during this podcast. Okay. If... And I realize we've probably had this discussion before a long time ago on another podcast, but I'm going to bring it up again now. If, let's say, next E3 or PlayStation State of Play or whatever, the next big event, they announce a new Mass Effect. Not Mm -hmm. a remaster and Mm -hmm. not a sequel to Andromeda. They just Mm -hmm. say it's a new Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. And they say it will be... A continuation of the story of Commander Shepard. How do you oh, feel about fuck? that? How do you feel about that? And absolutely and not. You absolutely get to port, not. And you get to port forward your old Shepard. Well, okay. So the for that to be a thing, they have to make one ending canon, which I don't fucks with. Like, yes, I picked that ending, but no, that's fuck. That's literally spits in the face of the very premise of this series to pick one ending. And make it canon. Fuck that. Interesting. I just that's wanted. My, that's my final. Answer. I just wanted to get your take on that. I also. I well, feel. No, no, the, like, I feel the same way in that I think it would be 
A, shitty to make one ending canon because, I mean, I've played games like Telltale Games and stuff like that where they do that. I think the first Batman game had like a canon, canonized ending and a non-canonized ending ending that went into the, the second series of Batman. Uh, and, and that felt a little crummy. But uh, there was... There's also like... I've said it before, we've seen the story of Shepard before, mm. right? And so if they're, I th- my take is if they're going to do something set within that universe where Shepard could possibly show up in some way, they need to either find a way to set it before all the events of Mass Effect 3. So maybe like while Shepard is younger, again, like we go back to like the CSEC stuff. Like if you're playing mm-hmm. as an officer on CSEC, then maybe you get to like encounter Shepard at one point I, I think of like in Dragon Age Inquisition when you get to meet Hawk like maybe you mm-hmm. end up doing something like that right. or uh, you find some way to set it after Mass Effect 3 and still you know find a way to make it so that if somebody had a certain ending then Shepard can show up for a cameo because again that's what they did yeah. with Hawk was that yeah certain things could conspire to have a hawk present otherwise they would have other characters present uh and if bioware's got the tech to do that i think bioware's got the tech to make the shepherd thing happen it just needs to be a cameo but would you be interested in that if you're not necessarily maybe playing a shepherd but you're a different character who could run into a past shepherd if you had that particular ending i wouldn't say that like i'm not like you know full stop i'm not really interested in another mass effect post mass effect 3 but I do think that, like, a ver- like a, a Mass Effect 4 or whatever you want to call it that, like, takes place in the Milky Way that could conceivably work after any of the endings is, like, is very much an achievable thing as long as, like, the focus of the game is not, like, the Reapers and, like, the, the differences well, I mean, yeah, between those to, endings. It'd have to not be. Because, like, I mean, yeah, the Reapers can still be around, but, like, they are in various different, you know states of being, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. We get this oh, man, that. But, like, introduces a lot of complications doesn't it yeah and like, it'd be possible but like they just i don't think it's worth it but like the thing is there's like i think it was on reset era or not reset or whatever the fuck they call it um reset there was era. like a yeah they they there was a thread on it once where people were like would you want a mass effect 4 if you could like would you be fine canonizing an ending and overwhelmingly the answer was yes and i'm like i don't why is media literacy dead? Why are people, like, so intent on missing the point of everything about this fucking game? I mean, that speaks to... There was a piece today that... Um, I won't say friend of the show, because I don't think she listens. I don't think she's played Mass Effect before. But friend of us, Ce- Cecilia DiAnastasio over at Kotaku, wrote an article today that was about not liking being okay to not like evangelion and the idea that Mm. anime much like many other forms of entertainment is a consumer culture and the idea that you should consume and enjoy and especially enjoy things that others consume and that extends to games very much like she brings up the idea that you know it's the the conflict around calling people gamers and whether people are true gamers or not you know like as a person Mm. who only plays fifa every year the same amount of gamer as somebody who has beaten all the dark souls on one health and all that and is that the same amount of gamer as somebody who just plays mobile games you know they maybe just do like the gacha games and that's all that they interact with that's the only way they interact with gaming but would they still be considered a gamer or not and Mm. in the same way i i think about mass effect and that want to have more of mass effect especially within that universe i get that because I think that there are things to explore in that universe still, especially when you look at the idea that you look at what that universe looks like post Reapers, you know, once mm. now that the Reapers are dealt with in some way that the, the main conflict of that, you know, universe for centuries is now gone. What starts to evolve and also maybe like, how do they begin to expand in ways that were not expected outside of this otherwise predetermined loop and cycle. Like, I think there are ways to mm. explore that that could even tie into the Andromeda Galaxy and things like that, where you could start to tie in that maybe yeah. and the I mean, Mass Effect drives could be expanded out to travel that far a distance. And, I mean, not to 
cannibalized content from next season, but, like, there's implications in Andromeda that that was in the works, to some extent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe they had some... Maybe there was, at one point, like, a plan for them to have something that was in the Milky Way post Mass Effect 3. But, like, there's... There's this belief that it needs to... Like, that there has to be some sort of, like, funneling in of the way that these games went down to make that happen, which I don't, one, I don't think it's true, and two, is just, like, that even, the notion of that, like, it's, what, what did you think we were all doing in you'd, these three games? Did you'd you, have like, to set it substantially after Mass Effect 3, right? Because I think, like, the idea that it becomes too complicated to deal with the idea that the Reapers could still be around or that the Reapers could all be destroyed... So you need to come up with some sort of situation where it's like, oh yeah, we just broke down the Reapers for parts, or like, oh, the Reapers uh, end up being like taken over by different cultures or, and used in a or war to like, fight each other, and so now they're all destroyed because that war destroyed all of them. And or like, something like, I don't know, like, imagine, like, the same way we talk about, like, Shepard is like a possible cameo in the scenarios, like, Reapers appearing in, like, the background of scenes or something along those lines of, like, where, like, they can still be around and in some capacity, but if, like, the the story doesn't have to change if they're not the focus of the story, you know? Like... Yeah, but even then, that's, like, a major... You know, it's it's kind of weird to have, like, oh, if you're on this planet and you had this save file, then there's no Reapers hanging about, but if there are, then there's just a giant fucking Reaper over the city, <laughs> like... I, I mean, given the role that the Reapers seem to, or at least appear to play, and they, they are still around, I don't think, like reapers maintenancing things on planets but like not being something you have to necessarily interact with maybe they come up with some like reason where they're like oh we sent them out to scout beyond the the galaxy to find what else is out there because they're capable of deep space travel so they're like they're all out scouting so that's why you don't see any of them around and then maybe yeah something like that you have like one thing where it's like oh there's a mission where if you had a thing where there would still be a reaper around or whatever you could have like a, oh it's the the sunken reaper and he's it was hiding all the time and it's here now we get to like hang out with it and talk to it and shit like that but then you don't get that yeah. scene if you pick destroy so yeah um yeah i don't know maybe there is something like that and then you have to incorporate whether synthesis has happened and and all that like boy there's just so many threads you have to tie up at the end and it makes me realize how drastically different those three choices are in, in yeah. the grand scheme of things in a way that we will talk about when we get to that episode but which is in like four or five episodes from now yeah i mean well so let's run down the schedule real quick yeah, for all the for all the folks out there because you know we ran a little bit short this week because it was kind of a two slimmer episodes to talk about we did not have a guest on to poke and prod uh so this week is the Geth Dreadnought and Chorus. Next week, the third, we will be talking about uh, the Geth Consensus and Rannoch. Uh We'll be taking another little sit out after that for a uh, Citadel side quest little thing. To I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of what else we have to clean up there, but you will remind me of it after the podcast is over. So I, I got you. I got you. Uh, after that, we'll be doing uh, Omega. Which I mean, can we? Do we want to confirm yet? I mean. We're, we're let's just say we're planning to have a guest for that uh yes. and we're very much looking forward to it we hope that we will make that happen uh and then we have thessia the week after that's the 24th july 24th uh then we have leviathan the week after that uh which we also hope to have a guest for uh by august 7th we'll be on citadel which is i'm very much looking forward to that and again i'm working yeah. on getting a day set up for me to stream that so we can have that recording so ken can geek out in the twitch chat as he is yeah. very eager to do and then on august 14th it'll be the conclusion we'll wrap this whole thing up with london and uh that'll be a bow on the trilogy i mean this thing that we set out to do on i mean on n7 day was when we started mm-hmm talking about this because you just suggested it and i was like why not and now august 14th some five or so months later we have gone all the way through the trilogy that's like eight or nine months but okay wait what it was yeah I mean, if we started in november and we end in august that was nine months wait i thought n7 day okay <laughs> i thought n7 day was am i thinking november of a different 7th. day i thought it was in it's november 7th mm-hmm 
because it's 11 7 mm-hmm. what does the 11 have to do with it no in november that doesn't make any sense oh the november starts november. with n okay that makes a little bit more sense i thought it was march 7th for some reason <laughs> no because there was like something about the three i don't know can i don't nope. come up with all these like branded hallmark card days oh, that's not my job mm. My job is keeping this podcast on the rails and keeping the folks at home entertained. So if you're entertained... How are you, how are you doing with that? If you're entertained, you should head on over to patreon.com slash normdfm and uh, donate some cash so that way I can uh, fund adult literacy courses for myself. <laughs> some basic reading and uh, media literacy because apparently I just don't have it anymore. It's all gone. Critical for my field, I know, but it's just gone now. Mm. Say lovey. Well, then however many months later, we, it will almost be a full year later than just, just shy of like 10 months or so, nine months. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. What a long, strange journey. I think that Andromeda will take us all the way to a full year. If oh, I, if I had to guess of what the schedule is going to look like, we have not started planning that out, but I know that now I've put the nugget of thought into Ken's brain. He's going to do it immediately. <laughs> Literally was planning on doing it right after this. <laughs> Well, until next time, for Kenneth Shepard, I'm Eric Van Allen. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. As always, please tune in next week for Normandy FM. Normandy FM. Normandy FM.